Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Master Books podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter is here to talk to us about his latest book. The book is Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. I have been reading this book, and I want you to know, I really do honestly believe everyone needs a copy of this book because it deals with the questions that we have about how a loving God can allow such suffering and trauma and tragedy in our lives. So if you've been wrestling with something like that, or you know someone who is, I really want to encourage you to listen to the whole podcast today, to the book at masterbooks.com. And also I'll be giving away a copy of the book over at the Masterbooks app and the Moms of Masterbooks Facebook group. I wanted to read you a little quote as a teaser to get you excited about listening to what Ken Ham has to say. But on page 22, he says, The sincere believer in God who seeks honest answers to the most perplexing and painful of life's problems will find that the truth can set you free from the anger, disappointment, and futile hopelessness you're dealing with. Here at Masterbooks, we are dedicated to help you disciple your children and develop a strong faith as a family. With pro-Bible homeschool curriculum and beautiful books that honor God as creator. We offer online courses to help your family worship and serve God. You will also find morning baskets and devotionals for the whole family. Our mission is ink on paper to touch eternity, and we have been publishing Christian books for this purpose since 1975. Find your pro-Bible homeschool curriculum at masterbooks.com. Well, hi, Ken. It's great to see you today. Thanks for joining the Masterbooks podcast. Well, it's great to be with you, Jennifer, and look forward to talking about this topic. Absolutely. Thank you for writing this book. We were talking earlier about it, and I really do believe it is the book, the handbook on the biblical worldview for suffering, and everybody needs it. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why you chose to write this book. Well, you know, over the years, one of the most asked questions I've been asked, and particularly by secularists, but as well as Christians, but mm -hmm. I mean, this has been a question down through the ages. And, and that is, how can there be a loving God with all the death, suffering and disease in the world? And mm -hmm. secularists have used that over and over again as an excuse for them to justify saying there can't be a God. Because if there was a God, why would he allow Christians to suffer? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you Christians suffer death and disease and so on. Uh, there can't be a loving God. And sadly, mm -hmm. th there's another aspect of this because when you look at the world today, you do see death, suffering and disease. And yet uh, there are many, many of our Christian leaders, Christian academics and others that have told people you can believe in millions of years. Well, the idea of millions of years actually came out of atheism. And it's the idea that fossil record was laid down over millions of years before man. And the fossil record is full of death and diseases, evidence of cancer and so on. And so if, Death, disease, and suffering we see today has gone on for millions of years. You can understand how a lot of the younger generation are saying, but this world is an ugly world when we see all the horrible things happening. Mm -hmm. So how can we be a loving God if, if he uses this? And in the Bible, you know, after God finished making man, he said everything he made was very good. So if God's calling all this death and disease and suffering very good, 
How can there be a loving God? And there's been a lot of books written on this. A lot of people have dealt with this. C.S. Lewis, for instance, wrote a famous book dealing with all of this. And it, it has been one of the big questions uh, down through the ages. How do we understand death, suffering and disease in a fallen world? And because, you know, in, a, in our own family, obviously, we all know people who have died and, you know, uh, could be great grandparents or grandparents or others or friends or family members or whatever. Uh, everyone knows that death is inevitable and we see nice. death in this world every day and we see all sorts of horrible things in this world every day. And in our own family, we had uh, a particular example close to home when I had a younger brother who died of a horrible brain disease. And it was, it was a horrible brain disease. And yet he was a great Bible teaching pastor, you know. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write a book that was a gut level book because, yeah. you know, a lot of books written on this topic sort of tend to be more, you know, God's in control, suck it up, <laughs> you know, right. that sort of thing. Uh, you just have to trust God. All things work together for good. Mm -hmm. That's the answer. Have enough faith. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're human. And as humans, we're just finite beings. We're fallible beings. We don't know everything. And we have to suffer through the things that happen in this world. And so we do ask those questions. Why? And, and, and why Why would this happen? And I, I follow through with my mother, uh, who was uh, such a godly lady. She went to be with the Lord in November 2019 mm -hmm. at almost age 92, by the way. Wow. And she uh, had to go through the death of her husband, my father, when mm -hmm. he was 66 years old. Okay. And then seven years later to the day, uh, the death of my younger brother, who was a great Bible teaching pastor. And, you know, to, to sort of sum it up, I remember my mother saying, you know, the liberal pastor that doesn't believe God's word, you know, in, in the church down the street, he's as healthy as an ox. And yet my son, who stood on the authority of God's word and preached mm. God's word and loved the Lord, would never knowingly compromise. He suffers a horrible brain disease and dies in a horrible way. Why would God allow that? And that's really what this book is all about. Right. It's dealing with a real life example and how we struggle through these issues. And yet... There are, there are answers. We don't have all the answers. We never will have all the answers. Mm -hmm. We're not God. Only God sure. has all the answers. But nonetheless, there are answers. Well, and what you said in your book is that many people reject God because of this dilemma, this divine dilemma. How do I marry the, the loving God that the Bible talks about and everybody talks about, you know, love, God is love, God is love. You want to be a Christian because God is love. And then they go through something horrible and they don't know, they, they don't, they, they don't know how to wrestle with it and come out strong. So we have Christians that walk away from the Lord as well as secularists who already could come to the Lord and under such difficult circumstances, but might pull away even harder. So there really is almost an evangelistic aspect to your book. And if we know the biblical worldview, we can stand and we can also help someone who could, I mean, it's such a vulnerable time, right? Emotionally, it's such a vulnerable time for somebody. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I've known of families where there's been a tragedy in the family and there's been someone uh, in the family who then becomes, you know, they're, they're people that go to church and 
a happy family, a tragedy happens and mm -hmm. uh, some of them or one of them gets very angry at God and they just walk away from the church, so, church because they're so angry and they're saying, this is right. not there. It's not right. And, mm -hmm. and they're almost shaking their fist at God. They're sort of wanting to show their anger at God that, mm -hmm. that you shouldn't have allowed this. You shouldn't have done that. And, and you're right. There, there are others who have used it as an excuse for saying you can't believe in God. So that's why it's important to be able to deal with this issue, but from a biblical perspective. And, you know, I, I must uh, help people understand that, you know, as a Christian, we can't just look at the world and say, well, how do you fit all this with a loving God? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because that's what happens. And unfortunately, I think a lot of our churches haven't taught people to think the right way. Like they look at this world and say, how do you fit dinosaurs with the Bible? Or how do you fit, you know, death and suffering with the Bible? Right. If we truly understand what the Bible is, the Bible is a revelation from God who knows everything there is to know about everything. I mean, he's infinite knowledge mm -hmm. and wisdom. And, you know, compared to what we know, I mean, we know next door to nothing compared to what God knows. Uh, he has infinite knowledge and wisdom, and he's revealed to us the key elements of history, and particularly in Genesis 1 to 11, which is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for all of our worldview. It's the foundation for everything. He's revealed to us those key elements of history so we have the right foundation, so we can build the right worldview to understand this world. And so when you're dealing with any issue, it doesn't matter what it is, if you're dealing with the abortion issue or the gay marriage issue or the gender issue or your fossils or the age of the right. earth or racism or whatever it is and death and suffering, then we have to start from what God has revealed to us for the foundation to build a right worldview, a right way of thinking. So we've got to have the right way of thinking about death and suffering so we have to start from that foundational history in mm -hmm. Genesis 1 to 11. Only then can we begin to deal with this topic. Absolutely. Well, you talked about Charles Darwin and his divine dilemma when he lost his young daughter, Annie. And I'd love for you to talk about the legacy of how he wrestled with that and, and what we can learn from it. Well, you know, Charles Darwin uh, was the one that really popularized the idea of evolution. And mm -hmm. if you look at his own letters and writings, it was really a way of him trying to uh, justify that there was no God. Now, he he went to a church, but we, we wouldn't call it a, a Christian church okay. uh, in, in, in regard to Orthodox Christianity. Um, but nonetheless, he lived at that time when, the, you know, there was a Judeo-Christian ethic that permeated uh, the, the Western world, and uh, he, you know, certainly would have had a respect for Christianized morality and so on. But when his younger daughter, Annie, died, uh, it's said in a biography written about Darwin, and more than one person have said this, that that was the death knell for him uh, believing in God. Not that he believed in the true God before then, Mm -hmm. But, you know, grappling with that issue. But once his daughter Annie died, that was it. There's no way there could be a God. To him, that was almost like the final nail in the coffin that there's right. no God. Right. And uh, it, it, it's interesting. PBS did a series a number of years ago uh, on evolution. And as part of that series, they actually were looking at Darwin and the life of Darwin. And they illustrated this particular example uh, with uh, a, a section in the documentary where Darwin and his family go to church 
and the family go into church. Darwin does not. He stays outside. He's in the graveyard. His daughter Annie had died. Mm -hmm. And then you hear in the church, you hear them singing a hymn, all things bright and beautiful, the Lord God made them all. And the, the reason PBS did that, because they're, they're really pointing out, there's Darwin, his daughter died, that's terrible, and he, he loved that daughter, and yet she died, and there's the church singing, all things are, are bright and beautiful. Right. Well, all things aren't bright and beautiful. In some ways, I think there should be another verse to that hymn, you know, all things marred and mutated, the Lord God cursed and judged them all, or something, mm -hmm. something like that, mm -hmm. uh, simply because all things are not bright and beautiful. And that's something that we've got to get across to people. This is not the world as God made it. And that's what Darwin didn't understand. He didn't understand that this was a fallen world because of our sin. And actually, that because we sinned in Adam, we don't deserve anything. I mean, we in Adam rebelled against our creator God. Adam was the head of the human race. What he did, we did. We come from him. We don't deserve anything. We deserve nothing. And yet God loves us so much, he provided a way for us to go back to be with him. He provided his son to step into history, to be the God-man, the babe in a manger, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, to offer a free gift of salvation. He wants to save us from what we did. You know, I had a, a pastor once uh, who said to me, how can there be a loving God? Because how could he sentence people to hell? We've got to understand something. In a way, we sentence ourselves to hell we rebelled against god we can't live with a, a loving god we'd be separated from god forever he he can't look upon sin so he provided a way for us to come back to be with him to save us from what we did that's how we need to understand it so we've got to look at it from the perspective of starting with the origin of death and the origin of death is because of the origin of sin and when we rebelled against god it's a judgment and yet and many people might not understand this unless you stand back and look at the big picture do you realize in a way yes it's a judgment but in judgment god provides salvation see on the one hand a holy god has to judge sin but he judges sin but at the same time right there in genesis he promises a savior he promises the one who would come and die once for all in fact genesis 3 15 and genesis 3 21 are all about pointing to the savior and the one who would die on the cross and be raised from the dead. And so he loves us so much. So you've got judgment, which there has to be judgment from a holy God, but then he loves us so much, he is going to provide salvation for us. And he paid the penalty himself. So we should be praising God that he did that to enable us to spend eternity with him. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad you're talking about how Genesis and those foundational chapters we have to start there. We have to have that foundation in order to make sense of any of it. And we forget that this is God's world. It's his universe. It's his rules. It's his government. And because we live in a world that people don't believe in God, we begin thinking it doesn't have to be God's way. God's way is dismissed. And, and so then you get confused because you don't have the right foundation. So, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, that's one of the things that I do in the book too. And sort of it, it, it sort of comes to a climax in the book when I get to that position, really. And it's, it's more towards the end of the book. But it deals with the fact that a man called Job, Job mm -hmm. was suffering. 
uh, because of all the horrible things that happened to him. Now, he didn't know what happened behind the scenes. He he did not know. It's revealed to us in the book of right. Job how you know, Satan came to to our God, the creator, and asked for permission to be able mm -hmm. to do things to Job. And he was given that permission, except he wasn't allowed uh, for Job to die at that stage. Uh, so all these horrible things happened. He lost his family. He lost everything that he owned. He was basically destitute. He, he had horrible uh, skin disease and so on. Mm -hmm. And his friends were giving him advice, which was pretty bad advice. Uh, and, and basically, you know, you must have done something terribly wrong. Right. And, and then Job started to try to justify himself you know, before God. And, you know, justifying, you know, that he'd been a good man and all the rest of it. But then what did God do? He come to, came to Job and he said, Job, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? Do you know that? A lot, a lot of that in Job 38, 39, 40, 41 is about God as the creator, as, mm. as you sort of just mentioned. And he was really saying, do you know who I really am, Job? Uh, I can, this is what I do. And can you, can you keep these stars bound together? Can you do this? Can you lose these? Can, do you know how this happens? Do you know how that happens? And when God goes through all of those things, just one after the other, at the end, Job gets it. He mm -hmm. really gets it. And he basically falls down on his knees and repents in dust and ashes. And he says, I now see who you are. You can do all things. You yeah. know everything. I repent in dust and ashes. And he recognized we know nothing compared to what God knows. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he needed to put his faith and trust in God. Ultimately, we've all got to get to that particular position mm -hmm. as hard as it is. And it is hard. I mean, in a way, we all identify with Job. We would say, Lord, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. And I, I, I you know, I, be, I go to church regularly and I read your word and I pray and we, we take our, I cook our kids to church and look what happened. And this doesn't make sense. And, and, and why would this happen? But we, nonetheless, even though we do that and it's okay to do that, that's one of the things I say in this book. It is, it's okay. Don't feel guilty about doing that. Sometimes I think some of the books we read are sort of fairly pious in a way, and they make us feel guilty for, for, for doubting or asking, but we're humans. We're finite. We can do that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's okay to do that. I think, I think we sort of need to do that in a way to, to get it out there because underneath we are grieving and, and, and we're struggling with this issue. And so we're crying out to God and saying, mm -hmm. so why would this happen? Well, it doesn't make sense, but we've got to be like Job and get to that position saying, but you know, all things I know, I know nothing compared to what, you know, you see it from a whole different perspective. We don't. And I need to just trust you just as, as Job did. And to understand there could be a lot of things we don't understand. We could look back. Sometimes I, I look back and think, you know, what happened to my brother? I still don't un understand it from a perspective of surely the world needs more preachers who will preach God's word as truth rather than less. Mm -hmm. uh, and what about his family he left and so on? Right. But I also look at it and say, you know what? Um, through the book that I've written, there's going to be more people reached than he would have reached even in his lifetime in, exactly. in his preaching. It still doesn't mean we, we don't ask questions about it and still struggle mm -hmm. with it. But the other thing we've got to remember is this too. 
and that that is death comes to all. You know, it's it's like when when nine eleven occurred, that tragedy. Um, I I watching the news and you would see even uh, certain church leaders on there and saying we don't know why why God allowed this. Well, we do know why. It's a fallen world, right? Mm -hmm. And because of our sin, these horrible things happen. Yeah, but why did those people die? Well, it's like in in Luke, where the Tower of Siloam fell on people and 18 were killed. And Jesus asked the question, uh, were they worse sinners than others that they died? In other words, why did they die? Well, were they worse sinners than others that they died? And you know what his answer was? His answer was, repent, lest you also likewise perish. In other words, that was their time to die. Everyone's going to die. And that's the thing we need to remember. Everyone is going to die. It's not that some people die and some don't. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. In other words, that was their time to die. You're going to die. Make sure your heart is right with the Lord because everyone's going to die and then the judgment. So we've got to stand back and look at from that big uh, worldview perspective and also to understand, like, you know, God says in his word, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his of his saints. Why would he say that? Why would he say that's precious in his sight? Because they leave this sin-cursed world mm-hmm. and this sin-cursed body of ours, and we've we've been separated from God. I mean, when you when you know a loved one who's died, you feel that horrible, horrible separation. And mm-hmm. it is a horrible separation. Just think of how much greater the separation is between us and our God who made us because of our sin. That's why it's precious in God's sight uh, with the death of one of his saints because you go back to be with the Lord. You you will be with him forever. And so we've got to look at it from that big picture, that biblical worldview perspective. Absolutely. So what is the risk of someone like a pastor or a friend or family member or even a therapist giving a superficial answer to these questions and it's not just death right it's like why why do children suffer you know under the hands of abusers why sex trafficking why all these terrible things and we can just be very uh because we don't have a good answer we just give something to kind of pat it down and let it go on. So super talk about superficial answers in the problem. Well, with that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that do give those superficial answers. Well, we don't know why, but we just have to trust God. That's mm-hmm. what you need to do. Just trust God. Um, and he'll, he'll work things out. All things work together for good for him. And, and you see, that doesn't give you satisfactory answers when you think right. about that. There's just like, you know, it's a blind faith. Just trust him. But Christianity is not a blind faith. You know, atheism is a blind faith. Actually, it's a faith that lacks credulity, but it is a blind faith. Uh, and it's a faith that doesn't make sense of things. Christianity is not a faith that doesn't make sense of things. It is a faith that's based in history, and yes. it does make sense of what we see. We mightn't understand it all, and, and we don't have all information. Only God does. But that's why we have to start with God's word and we have to start at the beginning and we've got to start with that foundational history in Genesis. And that's one of the big problems is a lot of our church leaders have not taught Genesis 1 to 11 as real history, as literal history, or they've Mm -hmm. compromised it with evolution or they said it doesn't matter. 
if you don't have that history in Genesis, you will not have the foundation to deal with any issue, let alone mm -hmm. the issue of uh, death and suffering. And so we have to start from there to understand, let's look at what happened in this world. First of all, to understand the origin of sin and that we sinned against our creator God. And do, do we know how, how bad that is? Do you know what that means? I mean, we committed high treason against the God of creation. That's what that means. We rebelled mm -hmm. against him. So we don't even deserve to exist. And yet God allows us uh, to continue to, to exist. And he wants us to spend eternity with him. That's how much uh, he loves us. And so he, play, he had to judge sin. He placed upon uh, sin the judgment of death. He held, you know, Colossians 1 says, in Christ to hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, so he knows everything, and that he and holds he everything together by the power of his word. Right. And so we've got to remember, he knows everything, and he holds everything together. Now, because of sin, he doesn't hold everything together uh, perfectly anymore. Now things run down. And when, when you look at what happened, you know, because of sin, God cursed the ground. Now there's going to be thorns and thistles, whereas in the garden before sin, we, we were to work, but it was it was a work that wasn't uh, a work that was burdensome. Uh, right. It was going to be a perfect work, tending the garden, looking after him, a glorious work, God providing the food uh, mm -hmm. for, for us, for Adam and Eve. But now because of sin, work's going to be hard. And you're going to have to earn your food in the sweat of your brow. And we say, why would God do that? Because now there's thorns, there's thistles, there's weeds, it's hard work, uh, there, there, there's horrible things. I, I, you know, I, I say to people, do you realize God is helping us understand? Look, he's the one that holds everything together. He created everything. When we rebelled against him, do you realize how terrible that is? Do you, do you realize what that really means, how, how we rebelled against our creator? And be, be, because of what's happening in this world now, God wants us to understand, do you realize how bad that sin is? Do you realize how awful that is? And, and we have to work hard. We complain about working hard. We complain about, you know, thorns and thistles and weeds and, and the things of this world and so on. That's why Romans 8 says the whole creation now groans because of our sin. And that groaning is there to also remind us that, that sin has consequences. We can't just rebel against God and nothing happened. It has yeah. consequences. And, and you, you think that's bad. You realize God still holds everything together, just not perfectly anymore. He's allowing things to run down. But it's to remind us of how bad our sin is and what God has done for us in providing a solution uh, in Jesus Christ. And as hard as it is in, in this world when dealing with the issue of death and suffering, we have to stand back and say, that's not God's fault. It's our fault. Right. And when you start to recognize it's our fault, I mean, that's why we as Christians, when we see tragedy in someone's some family, we need to stand back and say, that's our fault. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all our fault. And so we need to make sure that we help these people and we reach out to them too um, because we are living in a fallen world. And, you know, it's, it's also hard for us to grasp because, you know, we live in this world and even though we might only live till, what, 70 80, maybe 90, you mm -hmm. know, my father died at 66. My mother died at almost 92. Some people live to 100, not very many. 
But do you realize compared to eternity, a hundred years is nothing. Right. Compared to eternity, it is Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. And we get so wound up with this world sometimes and we get so focused on looking at ourselves and, and woe is me. Whereas we have to be looking at it from a, from God's perspective. And he's given us his word to enable us to do that, to understand, wait a minute, we rebelled against a holy God. That's why there's sin in the world. We don't even deserve to exist, but God loves us so much. He provided a way for us to spend eternity with him. He has given us life to be able to spend eternity with the Lord, enjoying him forever. And we need to see it from that perspective and from a perspective it's our fault. And so don't blame God. Don't get angry at God. We should be getting angry at our sin. That's Mm -hmm. what we should be angry at because it's our sin collectively, our sin in Adam, all of us, that caused uh, these problems and that has brought death and suffering and disease and horrible things into this world. And we should be praising God that he stepped into history to save us from these things. It doesn't mean we don't grieve. Of course we grieve. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean we, we, we don't cry out to God and say, why do these things happen? But when we understand that history in Genesis and who we are and what our sin did and what Jesus has done for us, and get to that position that Job got to of recognizing that he is God and he knows everything, we don't, and to recognize who he is and to come to that understanding. That's the only way we're going to come to grips with this. And then when we get to be with the Lord, um, I'm sure we'll find out a lot more and see things in in a way we didn't understand at the time and see a glorious plan that God has had uh, for this. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for writing the book, sharing it at such a time as this. We are in a season of living with hope for eternity, but many who do not have that hope or their hope is wavering because they have been under the pressure of such tragedy and trauma and weighted down with the burdens of depression and anxiety and don't have the answers. So thank you for providing the answers. And I do hope everybody who's listening to this will recommend, check this book out, get a book, get a copy, get enough copies for those that you know who are walking through something really tragic or um, facing something of their own or someone that they love very much, because this really does give a foundational biblical worldview of the suffering that everybody is going to walk through. It explains our history. It explains our future, but we have this beautiful father God in heaven that who is holy and what helps me when I'm walking through something terrible, when something awful is happening on earth through a person or through death or disease is that this is not holy. This thing that I'm looking at, it is not holy at all, but I have a holy God to look at and to fix my eyes on. And that helps me. And Jennifer, can I just say a couple of other things real quickly? And that is, that's why the Bible calls death an enemy. It's an intrusion because of sin. And Mm -hmm. one day the enemy death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and there'll be no more death, no more suffering, no more disease. But those who haven't trusted Christ for salvation, the Bible says there's a second death, Mm. which is a horrible death. And that's the most horrible death one could ever have Mm -hmm. because it's eternal separation from God. And and for people to remember, when they're talking to a non-Christian, 
And when a non-Christian will say things like, well, there can't be a loving God, Lord of the death and the suffering of the world. If there's a loving God, he's unjust. Well, remind them, if you're not a Christian, how can you accuse anyone of being unjust? How do you decide what is right and what is wrong? How do you decide what is just and what is not just? You can't do that. Uh, and, you know, why, why should it matter to you? If, if death is the end, I remember when I was interviewing Bill Nye, the science guy, as we walked through uh, the Ark Encounter, which is uh, one of our two uh, Christian-themed attractions. And at one stage I asked him, I said, Bill, what happens to you when you die? He says, when you die, you're done. I said, if when you die, you're done, then what's the point of you arguing with Christians or arguing with me as a creationist? Why does it matter anyway? Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, well, you know, maybe we can make some great discoveries on Earth here and whatever. And I said, yeah, but when you die, you're done. Eventually, the whole universe dies, according to, you know, the evolutionist worldview. And then everyone's done. And if it, it, and then from your perspective, as one who rejects God, there's no purpose and meaning. You won't even know you're ever here. Why does it matter? That everything's without meaning. Everything's without purpose. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't even make sense. It you know, then, then why bother? Why do, why do you even have a sense of right and wrong? Why do you have, even have a, have, a, have a sense that you need to do things uh, for others or anything like that? The only thing that makes sense is there's an infinite creator, God, who created us. Uh, he's made it evident to all that he's creator. That's what it says in Romans 1. He's given us a conscience. That's what Romans 2 tells us, that we know what's right and what's wrong. And it's only God's word that explains why in this world, not only do you see death, but you see life. You see beauty and you see ugliness. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like a contradictory world. It's only the Bible that explains it. It was once right. all beauty. It was once all life. There was no death. There was no suffering. But now it's a very contradictory world, seemingly, because you've got life and death. You've got beauty and ugliness. You've got health and disease. How come? Because now we see it was a perfect world marred by sin, now it's a groaning world. Mm -hmm. And so now death is an enemy. It's an intrusion into this world. Uh, and so it's only the Bible that makes sense of this world. And you've got to start with that history in Genesis, as we've said. And so there are answers. Uh, we can get the big picture answers. We can understand it from, from God's perspective. We understand who we are, what the problem is, why, why we have this issue in our culture, what and, and, and in our world and what we can do about it and what the future holds. And the only hope is in what God's word has said. And that's a sure hope in the fact that we know that God sent his son to save us from the mess we caused in this world. Mm -hmm. And to really have a long-term idea of life instead of just the now, the microwave, the fast food, yeah. the I've got to have it. I've got to feel better now, you know, think about think about eternity eternity is a long time right <laughs> eternity right. never ends and th this time compared to eternity you're right it's nothing we we focus on us on us here and now on this short life mm -hmm. we've got to focus on eternity that's what we should be thinking about right right well thank you again for your book divine dilemma I want everybody to check it out. It's at masterbooks.com as well as where other books are sold at Answers in Genesis. We are so thankful for your ministry, Ken Ham. We're thankful that we get to partner with you, Ink on Paper, to touch eternity. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Just keep going. I will do. Thank you, Jennifer. All right. Thanks. Take care.